the Go podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. Starting this new series, Truth or Truth? Is it a truth or the truth? Because how we see it changes everything. And so I'm going to be going over the next several weeks, over the next five weeks, just exploring what is the Bible. Now, before I even get started, the word Bible has a lot of, has a lot of a twist to it. So some people get caught up in that. But I want to tell you, the Bible, Bible essentially just means this, preeminent authority on a specific context, okay? So it's not, this is not the only Bible there is, and some people get all offended when they see Bibles, well, Bibles like this. This is the backpacker's Bible. So it's not like a Bible that's for backpackers, it's a backpacker's Bible. This is, what kind of boots should you wear when you go, camp, when you go backpacking? What kind of tent is the best tent to go backpacking with? Where is the best trails to backpack in? What kind of water, how do you supply your food? What kind of stoves you should buy? So this, this is a backpacker's Bible. It is the preeminent authority on that specific topic. And some people go, that's not a Bible. What is that? You know, and, they, and they open it up and they're like, it's all about shoes and tents. And you know, no, no, there's the backpacker. Here's another one for you. Nobody needs this book. We just know what it is, right? The bad food Bible, right? Just look in your cupboards. That's what you've got at home, the bad food Bible. But this is how and why to eat sinfully. I was like, woo, just sugar, cake for breakfast, you know, Bill Cosby. Okay, and um. And so, so here's a bad food Bible. Here's, this was a fun one, though. This was one I found. This is another Bible I found. It's called the Bothy Bible. Now, a Bothy, anybody know what a Bothy is? I didn't know. I saw this. I was like, what is a Bothy? A Bothy is a shepherd's cottage. They're all over the countryside in Scotland, and they leave the doors open so you can backpack. You can wander around the back hills of Scotland, and you have a place to stay if it starts raining. These places, they're everywhere, and it's an exclusive. It just says, here's where this Bothy is. Here's a Bothy. Why are they even naming a Bothy? I don't know. Anyway, it's, it's from Scotland. It's the complete guide to Scotland's Bothies and how to reach them. So you can backpack through. You use the Backpacker's Bible and the Bothy Bible together. You've got something going right there. Now, what you and I use, though, is the Holy Bible. If you want to know about backpacking, use the Backpacker's Bible. You want to know about Bothies, use the Bothy Bible. You want to know what it means to be holy, you use the Holy Bible. You want to understand who God is, this is where he revealed himself. And what I want to do in the next several weeks is kind of go over, so what is this book and why do we have this? Because can we really trust the Bible? That's a question I ask. It's a question I have been asked. Can we absolutely be sure of this book that we're building our lives on? How can I be sure? How can we know for certain, for certain that this is really God's word? To get started this morning, I want to talk to you. I want to start with Winnie the Pooh. You're like, where is he going, right? You remember Winnie the Pooh, right? He's the simple and yet at times incredibly profound honey-obsessed bear. Well, in the original story, he was staring at a jar of honey, and he's wondering if, it, if he could be sure of its contents. This is a quote from Winnie the Pooh. Uh, it says this. He, he's, he's looking at it. He says, it had honey written on it, 
But just to make sure, he took off the paper cover and looked at it. And it looked just like honey. But you never can tell, said Pooh. I remember my uncle saying once that he had seen cheese just this color. So he put his tongue in and he took a large lick. Yes, he said, it is. No doubt about that. I want to bring this picture to you that I would say, again, this is one of those profound moments for Winnie the Pooh. What if we were to approach the Bible in the same simple way he approached this jar of honey? I have three questions that I want to ask in this series. The first one, what does it say on the outside of the jar? What does it say? Does the Bible have anything to say about itself? The first question, does the Bible claim to be God's word? Is that what it, is that what it claims to be? And then, and then let's take it another level deeper. What does it look like when we take off the cover? What does it look like? Does the Bible look like something only God could have written? Does the Bible seem to be God's word? And then lastly, as again, following Winnie the Pooh's uh, his discovery, what does it taste like? How can we know in our own personal experience that the Bible really is God's word? Does the Bible prove to be God's word? So these are the questions I want to wrestle with over the next five weeks. I want us to work with these. We're going to look at these three questions and do our best to answer them. Together I want to do this. And whether you're a Christian or not, by the way, I pray that this time will be helpful for you. I pray that as we discover, as we go in and say, so what is this book? Today, I want to look at the Old and New Testament, just kind of an overview of the Old and New Testament, because they both claim, this first one, they both claim to be documents with divine authority. They both claim to be God-written documents, filled with God's voice. Now, Imagine, before I get started, imagine that you and I are at the beach together. We're walking down the beach. You've got the waves over here and the sand over here. We're just kind of walking along the shore. And suddenly, a police officer staggers out of the surf with a snorkeler. Takes them out of the water, proceeds to handcuff them, dripping on the sand. You and I staring together going, what in the how in the... What do you think happened here? Any guesses? What? Saving him? Why would he handcuff him? Right? Right? Brought the snorkeler out of the water, handcuffed him right there on the sand. Any ideas? Huh? Poaching? Maybe a little one of spear guns, maybe? Oh, maybe. Okay. Any other ideas? What? He ran away, right? Somebody in first service said he was robbing somebody on the pier and jumped into the water. Like, wow, creativity, right? Where's Dirk Mullinger? I knew Dirk Mullinger would have an answer for this, you know. Dirk would have something smart to say. I just know he would. But so, so here's what happens. We see, this, we see this come out, right? The police officer coming out of the water. You're like, what in the? They handcuff that snorkeler. Well, we leave these two dripping on the sand. We continue on our walk. We just head down the beach. And we're just resigned to never know what happened. Now, what's really odd is it never occurred to either of us to go up and ask them, hey, what did he do? Oh, I don't even know it's a he. You know, maybe it was a she that was getting arrested. Okay, it never occurred to us. Hey, so what did they do? 
Why are they getting arrested? I mean, you just came out of the waves. We're standing there. They come out of the waves and you're handcuffed. You're like, what is happening here, right? If they're standing right in front of us, ready and able to speak, why wouldn't we ask them? Wouldn't it be foolish to not ask them? What, what's happening? What did they do? Why, why are they being arrested? To ignore or not even ask them, say, tell me the story. And it's in that spirit that before we start guessing what the Bible is and where it comes from, I, I want to ask the Bible, what do you claim to be? What are you? Who are you? What are you all about? Let's ask this question. So open up your Bibles, just left of center. You're going to find yourself in a place called Psalms. Just left of center, kind of flip your Bible open to the center and then turn to the left a little bit. You'll find yourselves in the Psalms. It's a collection of songs, many of them written by David, a couple of them written by Moses. A whole bunch of people have written a bunch of them, but David's the primary author. Psalm 19. Go to Psalm 19. I want to read to you Psalm 19. Psalm 19, these 14 verses describe two ways in which God speaks to us. Now watch this, Psalm 19. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. I love this imagery. Get ready. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding night. Woo! Okay. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and it follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They're more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They're a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I'll be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Whew. Now i got to tell you something. Again, he's speaking to us in two ways. This is your first blank right here. He speaks to us through the world and through his word. God's world speaks to us loud and clear. Just as a painting reveals the quality of the painter, God's world speaks powerfully of himself. And you know what? We could burn all the Bibles on the planet. You could destroy all of the Bibles and God would still make himself known through the skies, through the stars, through the sun, 
God says, you can't escape me. And by the way, incidentally, the Bible never tries to prove the existence of a creator. It naturally assumes that we already know this. If you have senses, if you have these five senses, it's undeniable there is a God. There is a creator. So it never says, oh, you need to believe in a creator. No, there's clearly a creator. You can't look at nature and not say there's, a cre- there's not a creator. Now, having said that, though, again, a painting may be wonderful. Painting's beautiful, but what it tells me about the artist is limited. And I need to read the artist's biography in order to know what they're really like. And at the risk of oversimplifying, that's what the Bible claims to be. God's autobiography. You want to know about me. You want to know how I function. This is me. I'm going to reveal myself. It's the way we get to know him. When the world isn't enough, when the world doesn't tell us enough, we need the word. And the Bible doesn't contain everything that there is to know about God, but it does reveal all that we need to know in order to live lives that are pleasing to him. You can fill that in right now. The Bible reveals sufficiency. The Bible reveals all that we need to know to live lives that are pleasing to him. That's what is called sufficiency of Scripture. Paul describes it like this in 2 Timothy. Come with me, would you? 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 15. Look at this. Paul says this. He's talking to this young guy that he's mentoring, a guy named Timothy, and he says, hey, Timothy, I want you to hear this. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. The Holy Scriptures, by the way, just so you're aware, that's everything from Genesis through Malachi. At this point, the New Testament's not been written yet. So when Paul says, you know the Holy Scriptures, he's talking about the Pentateuch, we'll get to that in a minute here, the Proverbs, the Psalms, the prophets, uh, major prophets, minor prophets. He's talking about all that stuff. He says, you know, you were taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. They have given you the wisdom to receive salvation that comes from trusting in Christ. All Scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what's true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what's right. God uses it, the Word, the Holy Scriptures, to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. This is, what, this is how Paul describes sufficiency. The Bible gives us what we need to know if we want to experience the highest, deepest, widest, and most satisfying life, God himself. That's what this book is revealing. And when we dig deeper into the Bible, we'll find that it closely connects the life-giving power of God's spoken word to the life-giving power of God's written word. Those two things come together. For example, in Genesis 1, It describes every atom of the universe, including humanity itself, being created and ordered with symphonic precision. It's a beautiful picture. God's spoken words. Let there be light. Let there be fish. Let there be birds. Let there be mankind. He speaks it. It's this beautiful thing. You watch creation. He puts stars in the sky. tells the ocean, that's as far as you'll come. You stop there. That's your boundary, according to me, because I made you. 
In fact, as I said, the Pentateuch, that's the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Pent being five, Pentateuch, these first five books of the Bible. Those first five books of the Bible, we see phrases like, God said, just in those five books, over 700 times. There are over 4,000 times in the Old Testament the words, God said. I mean, it's all over the place. But just because it says it in the Old Testament, we got to wrestle with this piece here. We're followers of Jesus. So we're not Jews. So what did Jesus think about the Old Testament? See, Jesus had an opinion about the Old Testament over and over again. Jesus appeals to God's written word. He trusts it implicitly. In Jesus' mind, there's no higher authority than the written word of God. Look what he says in Luke 24, verse 44. He says this. When I was with you before, this is Jesus speaking, I told you that everything written about me Here it comes. In the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms, that's the entirety of the Old Testament. That's what Jesus had. Everything that was written about me has to be fulfilled. That's how important the Old Testament is. And unfortunately, it's been lost on modern Christians. I don't get it. What's with the dove and the cows and slitting throats and blood and and these iron, these these sacrifices? I don't get it. You have to study. It takes a little bit of work. And we're not a generation that likes work. So we stopped reading the Old Testament. And I I believe we have missed out on who God truly is and who God wants to reveal himself to be. Because we're not putting in the work. Now Jesus didn't just talk about the authority of the Bible. He showed it in the way he lived. In fact, when he was tempted, he constantly, each time, he responds with quotes from the Old Testament, proceeding with these words, it is is written, right? Well, you ought to do this, the devil says. Well, yeah, I know, but it is written. Yeah, well, how about you do this instead? Yeah, yeah, but it's also written. Well, how about we tempt you with this? No, 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 because it is written. See, Jesus depends on this Old Testament. While the religious opponents are always trying to trap him, he knows how much they believe in the divine authority of Scripture, At one point in Matthew 22, he tells him, you know what, you're in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. You don't know the scriptures. Jesus insisted that the scriptures are necessary if we're gonna keep ourselves from error. That's your last blank this morning, necessity. The Bible is necessary if we're gonna keep ourselves from error. Jesus' final words on the cross. Now listen, The last words, those are always the most quoted words, right? What were their final words, right? I've teased my children. I've told them that when I die, I'm hoping to just say, I hid the money. (laughs) And my kids are like, Dad, you know. (laughs) I don't know. I want to do like one of these uh, ping pong and then die. I was like, what's ping pong? You know, I don't, anyway. The last words, last words are huge. Last words are huge. Do yourself a favor sometime. Just pop that up, Google it sometime. Famous last words. Jesus' last words, you know where they came from? The Old Testament. Came right out of the Old Testament. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. 
He quotes, he quotes the Old Testament. He quotes the Bible of his day because the New Testament wasn't written yet. And when he spoke to the crowds, oh, when Jesus spoke to the crowds, watch how Jesus gives it total preeminence. Watch this. In Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, watch this, starting in verse 17. Oh, he, he lays it out. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I didn't come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophet. Again, that's the Old Testament. I didn't come to abolish all of that. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I'm telling you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Now, some of, your, some of your versions will use the word iota. Do you have that in your Bible? I don't know if you, you're reading that of King James. They're using a Greek word, and the word is iota. Even the smallest iota will not be, it, it, has, to be, it has to come to fulfillment. Now, here's, here's a quick Greek lesson, ready? Iota is a Greek letter in the alphabet. It's the letter I. So, so imagine this, iota. He says, what would an I look like if you didn't dot it? He says, not even the smallest little fleck is unimportant. It's all got to be fulfilled. Not even, and that's the original word that Jesus is using. He's saying, not even, boop, not even that little tiny piece. It's all got to be fulfilled. It's all got to be achieved. I don't, I don't want to abolish it. I want to accomplish it. That's what I've come for. One of the most stunning illustrations of this happening is in Matthew 19. Watch what Jesus does. Just flip over to the right a little bit. Matthew 19. Starting in verse 4. Haven't you read the scriptures? And let me just stop right there. <laughs> let me just stop us right there. Haven't you read the scriptures? Let, let me just start right there. I, you know, there are so many times I want to say this to Christians as they tell me what God's will is in their life. I'm like, haven't you read the scriptures? Because <laughs> you wouldn't be talking like this had you read the scriptures. Our problem, you and I, me, I'm included in this. Jesus comes to us so often and says, you haven't read the scriptures about that, have you? He poses it in this particular scenario. Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus says? They record that from the beginning, catch this, God made them male and female. He said, watch this, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they're no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Now, there are times where, again, we're like, mm, I don't know that I agree with that. We live in a culture that, is say, is, that is, says things like, well, you know, I, you know Genesis wasn't, it, we're not supposed to be taken literally. Genesis isn't literal. It's just supposed to be read poetically. But Jesus is quoting Genesis. He's quoting Genesis too. The wild part in him noting that it is the word of God, is that when you look at that verse, it's not God speaking, it's Moses talking. 
Moses was talking. When Jesus is quoting, he says, the scriptures say this. He's quoting Moses. And when you, when you see that, you begin to understand that Jesus doesn't distinguish between the words of God and the words of the biblical writers. They're all from the Spirit. The Spirit gave it all. So he says whether it was Daniel writing it down, he goes, I don't care who it is. God said this, and then he quotes Daniel. God said this, and he quotes Nehemiah. God said this, and he quotes, he quotes the Old Testament constantly. He sees the historical truthfulness of the entire Old Testament the same way. He references Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jonah, Elijah, Elisha, Moses, Daniel, David, Solomon, Isaiah. He notes them all as flesh and blood human beings that really existed. Well, except the whole creation account, that wasn't true. Wait, wait, wait. Why would he, why would he quote all of this? But this wasn't true, but this was true. But, and here's what you and I do. We begin to doubt the authority of the Old Testament. And so we cut out some of the things that we read in it. And that puts us in a very difficult position. Because when we say that we can't or don't trust the Old Testament, we're saying that we, or the scholars, authors, and bloggers that we've put our trust in, have a better understanding than the Jewish religious authorities, than the Jewish people, than the writers of the New Testament, get ready, than Jesus himself. Because Jesus gave authority to the Old Testament. Yeah, well, that, Jesus just didn't know that culturally it would all change. Really? Jesus didn't know that. Keep in mind, again, the New Testament writings claim to be just as authoritative as the Old Testament. Same stuff. Paul, who wrote almost half of the New Testament, encouraged those who had accepted his message. Listen to what he says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Therefore, we never stop thanking God that you received his message from us. You didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said, here it comes, as the very word of God, which of course it is, and this word continues to work in you who believe. You accepted this truth. And then Peter, Peter goes on to say, he says, listen, and by the way, Peter didn't always get on with Paul. There's, there's a point in Galatians 2, you can read that sometime. But Peter confirms Paul's claim. He says this in 2 Peter 3, 2 Peter 3.15. 2 Peter 3.15 and 16, watch this, this is beautiful. Remember our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, catch this, with the wisdom God gave him. He continues, speaking of these things in all the letters, some of his comments are hard to understand. And those who are ignorant, here it comes, and unstable, have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture. And this is going to result in their destruction. Don't do that. Don't mess with it. Yeah, well, that, that, that's not what it really means. You know how many times I hear people tell me that? 
That's not what the Bible means. It's pretty clear. It's, 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 it's hard to go, well, right? Don't do this. Well, that's not really what it meant. It didn't really mean to not do it. What do you think don't do this means? <laughs> well, see, culturally then, it was actually, I'm like, no. This is very plain, plain and simple. But again, as I was talking about the Old Testament, same in the New Testament. This is only Peter. This is only Paul. We're followers of Jesus, right? So I got to ask, watch this big question. What did Jesus think about the New Testament? We know what Jesus thought about the Old Testament, but what did Jesus think about the New Testament? Kind of hard to tell because the New Testament didn't exist yet. So, so how am I going to get, because I'm a follower of Jesus, what did Jesus think about the New Testament? Look at John, the good news of John. He tells us all about it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those are the four good news books. John chapter 14. Watch what Jesus says. So good. John chapter 14, starting in verse 26. But when the Father sends the advocate, when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that's the Holy Spirit, by the way, he, the Holy Spirit, will teach you everything and he will remind you of everything I've told you. He then repeats the promise, but this time he adds a command. Look at what happens in chapter 15, verse 26, 27. He says, I will send you the advocate. Talking the same thing, right? Just, it's on the same page, just the next column over, right? I'm going to send you the advocate. The spirit of what? Truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me, verse 27, and you must also testify about me because you've been with me from the beginning of my ministry. And then he continues again, talking about the Holy Spirit. In chapter 16, he says this. It's just beautiful. When the Spirit of truth comes, he's gonna guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard, and he's going to tell you about the future. Here is Jesus, three times, promising the apostles that they will accurately preserve his words. He said, because the Holy Spirit's going to teach you. The Holy Spirit's going to remind you. You're going to be reminded of all the things that I've told you. He commanded and he empowered his followers to do this by his own spirit. He said, I'm going to send you an advocate. I'm going to send you a helper. Now, here's the problem. When I say, <laughs> and I know people struggle with this, when I say the Bible says that the Bible is trustworthy, people go, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> That's not rational. And I'm like, what do you mean? Well, you see, from a rational point of view, and then I would say, whoa, 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 stop, 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 stop. Why do we have to be rational? Right? Because they would say, well, because it's rational to be rational. See, we need to believe rationalism because rationalism says it's rational. We're in another circular argument. This one's marked rationalism. Think about this. It's impossible for any of us to avoid this kind of circularity in our arguments. We have to appeal to an authority of one kind or another. We have to, even when we don't realize it. And when that authority listen to me now, is made up of our opinions, we're in serious trouble. And I hear it all the time. People come up to me, oh, did you hear about this? I go, wow, where did you hear about this? It was on Facebook. I'm like, 
Okay. <laughs> right? Oh, no, no, no. I'm sure, I'm sure it's true. Yeah, you better check your facts. Oh, no, 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 no. I heard this. Hey, did you hear about this happening? Did you hear about that happening? I'm like, where are you getting your facts? I appeal to a higher authority. Facebook. You know, like, I, re I read it, and they wouldn't print it if it wasn't true. That's why it's good to hear the claims that the Bible makes about itself. This is what the Bible says about itself. We, we shouldn't reject them simply because the Bible makes them. In fact, if the Bible really is what it claims, then it has to be, using this big, impressive-sounding legal phrase, it has to be self-authenticating. A self-authenticating document is any document that can be admitted into evidence at a trial without proof being submitted to support the claim that the document is what it appears to be. In the end, I wonder if God is the only one who's fit to bear witness to himself. And, and listen, I, I realize that there are, there are times when we, well, the Bible, did, what? I don't understand. I, I don't get it. I, I don't understand why the Bible says that. Keep, keep going. You'll, you'll find it. Keep the whole thing together. Keep the Old Testament. Keep the New Testament. Because we're going to walk through this in the next several weeks. And I realize some of it you're just like, mm, I'm not sure. See, the Bible can't mean anything other than what it's supposed to mean. Let me give you this example. Some of you know I come from a large family. Uh, seven kids. We had seven kids in my family. Seven kids in eight years. Uh, and, and my mother would take us as kids to the beach in a Volkswagen Beetle. That's the truth. My two youngest sisters sat in that little compartment next to the engine. Right? And then there were two people on the passenger, front passenger seat. And then the rest of us were squeezed on the back seat and my mom was driving. And we got to the beach, it was like a little clown car. All these people coming out. Listen, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care who you are. A Volkswagen, was, a Volkswagen Beetle was never designed to be a high occupancy vehicle. Has it been done? Sure. I'm living proof. Watch this. I am living proof. But do you know why you can't do that today? Because I've got far more dying proof that it's not meant as a high occupancy vehicle. This book, if you're struggling with your finances, this book wants to tell you how to handle your finances. If your relationships are struggling, this book wants to tell you about how to be successful in your relationships. Listen, this book, it's designed this way. You cannot pretend to be married and not be married. I won't honor it. That's what God says. You can't act like you are. It doesn't work that way. But see, we go, yeah, but, but I want to do it that way. It's my opinion that I think we love each other enough that blah, 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 blah. And all the rest of our cultural ideas that we go, well, who's the Bible to speak to me about that? Listen, again, I can tell you I'm living proof that we did ride to the beach in a Volkswagen Beetle. There are plenty of people who died in a Volkswagen Beetle with high occupancy like that. It wasn't designed that way. And God simply says, if you want to know how you were designed to function, I would love to share that with you. Here it is. Yeah, except that page. And 
that page, and this one too, I've never agreed. And so we take a, an emotional, mental highlighter or a whiteout, and we just kind of, no, I don't believe in that. And we get the, the Sharpie, black Sharpie, and we go, I never liked that one either. Listen, I'll tell you what, I got plenty of opinions that disagree with God. But you know what God says? Congratulations, you've been thinking today. God looks at me and says, listen, Marty, that's not the way. I made you. I know how you function best. Yeah, well, I'm going to do this anyway. Watch, listen to God's answer. Okay. I want you to hear that. God says okay to every single one of us every single day, even when we go, no. I'm gonna, no don't open it because then, then you have to be accountable for what you know, right? Problem is the Bible says, the Bible says the truth is written in the heart of every person. We know right and wrong. We don't even have to open it up. I don't have to teach a two-year-old that taking cookies is wrong. Two-year-olds go. I never taught them to do that. They just do it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? How about 22-year-olds, 32-year-olds, 42-year-olds, 62-year-olds, right? We still. Mm. Next week. We're going to look at more of what the Bible claims to be. I want to look at more of that. I hope you'll join us. Today, I've talked about the spoken word and, and moved it into the written word. I've connected the spoken word to the written word. Next week, I want to connect the written word to the living word. I want to make this full connection. By the way, if you have questions about the Bible, please write them down. I would like to answer them in this series. I want to try and answer these questions because this, this is why I tease about it, but this is the only book I've ever read from, from this pulpit. This is it. I don't care what anybody else has to say. God spoke. He said, I made all of humanity. I created the planet. This is the best way to care for the planet. I don't care what a scientist tells me. God said, this is the way you care for animals, this is the way you care for the planet, this is the way you care for yourself, and this is the way you care for other people. i got to keep coming back to this, because this is the holy Bible. What does it take to be holy? Because we're called to be that. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for a moment to be together to talk about your truth. I thank you that you revealed yourself as a God who loves us, who cares for us, who wants abundance for us, we're going to stop right here and we're going to sing some songs that reflect some of what's in our hearts toward you. How good you've been to us. If we have eyes to see and ears to hear how good you've been to us, we, we want to respond with these songs. But I ask, Father, that you would align our hearts to your truth. We've got opinions. Man, there are things I, I completely agree with our culture. But God says that doesn't work. But I think, well, God, why don't you make it work that way? Because it's not the way I made it to work. We read, we read one of the scriptures this morning. Oh man, people, I have offended people talking about God made man and woman to cling to a wife. It's okay. It wasn't mine. It was God, one who designed it. I didn't design that. And so I asked Father God, would, would you help us to align to the truth of your word? That would be so in Jesus' name. That would be done.